I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Race for the Ring, episode 93, Flipping the Switch with Natasha Adamo. You're listening to The Race for the Ring. I am your host, Mindy Barnett. I'm an entrepreneur, motivational author, keynote speaker, television contributor, and a single mom. Since re-entering the dating world after my divorce, I found dating life eye-opening. In the age of Tinder, Bumble, and Hinge, there seems to be more horror stories and humor than happy endings among my friends and social circles. And I want to know why. Each week, we'll chat with a different dating queen or king, socialite or relationship expert, and explore the many facets of dating today, pitfalls to steer clear from, and how to find the finest fish in the sea. Get ready, set, go. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Race for the Ring. We have a very, very cool episode today. Um, super excited to bring you this uh, best-selling author, Natasha Adamo, who is a motivational speaker and relationship coach. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how to kind of turn the table and win your breakup. And by winning the breakup is not necessarily or actually not at all winning back the guy that broke your heart or girl, because this obviously could go either way whoever's toxic in your life, I should say. Um, it's basically kind of owning yourself. And she shares like a very long laundry list of steps that people go through in the breakup process and, you know, how to sort of overcome some of that and also how to accept some of that, what's healthy, what isn't necessarily healthy. And also ultimately how to win. So without giving it all away in this opener, um, I do want to share that it's worth the while to listen through because you will um, get some really good information about kind of flipping your own switch and changing your mindset and essentially winning the situation over. So let me tell you a little bit more about Natasha. She has a new book coming out. Um, As I record this, it's coming out in about two weeks on March 22nd called Win Your Breakup. And the premise of the book is essentially to help people that are going through a breakup who feel like they need to win in order to emotionally survive and move on. So she gives like a lot more, um, you know, obviously a deeper dive, if you will, into the into that thought process, etc. Natasha is essentially um, a survivor of trauma. Uh, she's had a lot of toxicity in her life herself, and essentially dedicated her career helping people so that they can feel less alone, um, become dependent on absolutely nothing other than listening to their own intuition and getting them out of pain, suffering, 
self-sabotage and confusion, which sadly are all part of a breakup process and even more uh, escalated if you are indeed breaking up with someone who is in a, basically toxic to you um, in an unhealthy relationship all around. So I'm super excited to introduce you to Natasha. So Natasha, thank you so much for joining us on the Race for the Ring. I'm so excited to talk about this topic today. Thank you for having me. Of course. So before we get into how to win your breakup, which I know is also the title of your amazing book, let's talk a little bit about how you became Natasha um, Adamo and how you became like who you are in terms of helping people kind of navigate the water of a breakup and sort of switching the tide, so to speak. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm the same person I always was. I, I haven't become anything extraordinary or, you know, um, inaccessible or anything like that. But I, um, my education, I make it very clear in everything I do, every time I speak, whenever I write, you know, I'm not licensed, I'm not certified, I'm not schooled in uh, anything. I've never taken a psychology class in my life. I don't say that from a braggadocious standpoint. Clearly, if you've read my writing, I, I, I probably needed it at some point. Maybe I still do. My education is experiential. It's not scholastic. It has become from my own life experiences. I have the utmost respect for the professional community, and I'm so honored to work with many people from the professional community. Um, as far as how I got started, I had hit a really low point in my life, and um, I think we've all been there. It's not like my story is any different, and there's a lot of things that I've been through that I don't necessarily lead with because it doesn't matter. What matters is helping people. And um, mm -hmm. I got to a point in my life where I, you know, I'm not, I'm the furthest thing from perfect. I think a lot of people in our field make the mistake of utilizing certainty, which is a very, very powerful thing. And um, they, they run with it to an extent that they present themselves as someone who has all the answers, someone who has it all figured out, someone who never has a bad day, never has a bad relationship. And um, I think that that's really great for short term, but ultimately you will make a mistake. Ultimately, people will see cracks in the foundation. And um, I've always just tried to present myself as exactly who I am, a human being that is still hypocritical, is still contradictory, is still insecure and scared and sometimes lets her emotions dictate uh, actions. But I have found a way to not let it permeate to the point of you know, reputational liability and uh, paralysis, so to speak. And mm -hmm. once I, I, I started self-reflecting, I started creating boundaries, I started um, realizing what I needed to do or else I was going to lose my life. I saw the fruits of that labor and the benefits of utilizing what I had learned. So I created a little blog uh, with the hope that I could get some affirmation that I was not as alone as I felt in my 
fears and emotions and you know insecurities relationships circumstances situations and i also created a blog to give everything i wish i had to answer every question i asked google at my lowest most lonely and confused states and couldn't find the answers to you know beyond mm -hmm. these kind of clickbaity titles and i was very consistent with it um, it's a whole nother podcast for another time to get into the intricacies of how it exactly started. But, um, I started a coaching business and if that hadn't taken off right away, I'd, I'd have my podcast launch. Like you have this incredible one. I'd have probably more books out by now, but the coaching really took off. I have telephonic clients in over 30 countries around the world, as well as in-person clientele, which is awesome. And, um, that's, that's kind of how it got started. Wow. So you really used like a bad experience, uh, uh, you know, like a, a down, a, a very low down part of your life and turned it around and made it basically like a winning situation, which is incredible. I'm very, very impressed. So let's take some of your knowledge from having been on, on that um, unfortunate side of the fence and, and help some of our listeners today and maybe myself along the way. Um, although I'm not really getting over a breakup, but we've all had heartache in our life and still kind of deal with that. Um, in terms of how to turn it around and win, right? So you, um, you, uh, some of your information, um, are basically geared towards the fact that breakups are a Bell sort of changing your mindset, right? Kind of flipping the switch as we're calling it. So let's talk a little bit about that and why it's so important for the person who's suffering to feel as though they are winning. And then we'll go through all of the different stages of a breakup and how you can overcome them and things like that. Well, I mean, listen, you're not going to pick up a book called Win Your Breakup, How to Be the One That Got Away. If your breakup and I don't care who that who that breakup is with, if the breakup has not been reduced to something that you feel like you need to win in order to emotionally survive and move on. All right. That reduction can only take place if you are breaking up with someone of the toxic species. Toxic people, I personally define them as anyone who gets validation by exploiting your hunger for theirs. And so, you know, I want to... Can I, can I just interrupt you? Can you explain what that means exactly? Yeah. The hunger for theirs? Yeah, I'm curious. Anyone okay. who gets their validation, their sense of worth by seeing that your soft spot is getting their validation and they exploit that. They take advantage okay. of that. They, they doormat that. They use that. And, um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of breakup books. I've seen a lot of relationship books. And we live in a time especially where it's just like, don't have a spiteful feeling, you know, just kind of kumbaya it out, wish your ex well, move on, you know, kind of do what you need to do, go on an eat, pray, love excursion, you know, all kinds of stuff. And all that stuff is really great. However, feeling spiteful feelings after realizing you invested in a relational Ponzi scheme is a totally normal human experience. So mm -hmm. I wanted to write a very dignified kind of Machiavellian playbook on how to drop the mic on a toxic person and win without reducing anything to a game, without having to be nasty or disembark from the standards and self-love and self-worth that uh, being in a relationship with this person has drained you of, without being a carrot dangling tactician, without having to you know um, disassociate from just your empathy and humanity. So that was my goal in it. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I know 
the source very well. I, I wish it was just one isolated in, instance that got me to do what I do, but it was a whole lifetime of surviving people, surviving trauma. And I don't say this from a victim standpoint and surviving myself. I was an awfully toxic person in my life. I have, Were you? Oh, is it because is yeah. you mirrored a lot of what was given to you? Is that why? Um, because I was miserable and unhappy. I don't have anyone to blame but myself ultimately. You know, I was I, I hated who I was and I made people feel the way I felt deep down, good people. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the bad people, the toxic people, I worked extra hard for their approval. But I was not a happy person. I've done so many things as we all have that I'm ashamed of and you know, I Every day I wake up, I just try to be a better person. That's that's all I try to do and give what I wish I had. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm able to write the way I do. Yeah, because I've been through some pain, but I also know the source very well. Got it. Okay. Well, it sounds like you also like have used love of like anything negative in your past for the good now too. So you're, in, in my opinion, more than making up for it. Okay. So let's go through the five stages of a grief. Um, and we'll go through, uh, I guess each one, one by one, so to speak briefly, if we can, um, because I want to get into like some other information that it seems really inc- compelling as well in terms of winning the breakup. So you say denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance, right? I don't say that. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says that. Okay. 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 So (laughs) yeah, I I want to make that very clear because one of my dear friends- So they're- Right. But in your blog, I apologize. You're, um, you're absolutely I mean, I've, I've yeah. touched on that in my blog in one blog post. Um, a dear friend of mine, David Kessler, has written a book with Kubler-Ross. Um, he also just recently wrote a book called The Sixth Stage after um, tragically uh, losing his son and his, the sixth stage of grief. He decided and he came upon um, I shouldn't say decided, but it, he came upon was meaning. Um, I am not schooled in the stages of grief. Um, I've briefly talked about it, but yeah, I think that um, all of them pretty much hit on hit right on the nose as far as going through grief. I don't think the stages are linear, nor do I think they're progressive, but I mm-hmm. think we go through them and we bounce between them when we go through grief. Okay. So let's go through the stages of breaking up with a toxic ex. Um, I'll read them one by one and we'll just dive in a little bit if we, if that's okay. Okay. And by the way, these are not included in my book. They're, um, they're included in, on my blog and a course that I've done, but they they really do complement the principles in the book. Well, that's fine. Absolutely. So we want to obviously enlighten everybody listening and try to give some takeaways. Um, Obviously, we're going to talk about your book at the end, and hopefully they can sign on and buy the book. It sounds amazing. Um, But either way, we'll have some actionable information that they can put implement hopefully into their lives now if they're in need of it. For sure. So first is limiting your relationship with reality. So in order for your ex to be able to continue living in your head and in your heart as someone who is essentially worthy of your time, you need to actively limit your relationship with reality. So what exactly does that mean? And why do you think that? Well, I mean, to to keep your ex alive in your head as someone who is even capable of you wasting a second of your time thinking and obsessing about them. You have to limit your relationship with what is, with the truth, Mm -hmm. because the truth will negate that. So how do you do that? 
I mean, you you believe what you want to believe. You know, you see what you want to see. You hold on to the hologram of who they were in the beginning of the relationship. And you convince yourself that that is who they are and that is who you're missing. Right. So you think that it's wiser than to remember the bad times. um, Or if um, a therapist once told me when the person pops into your head to just immediately know you're going to go to some other vision. Like, so for me, I like, I don't remember what, I think mine was the beach or something like completely different than an actual person. But every time that person would pop into my head, I immediately, it was like a trigger for me to then think of the ocean. And then I would just like force myself to focus on that until like I was on to something else. Is that like sort of what you mean? Or um, no, I mean, idea? that's a really incredible tactic that you just shared. I think that that's amazing in practice. Um, mm-hmm. But this is limiting a relationship with reality is definitely not a good thing. It's just a stage that you go through in a breakup. Like it, it's not, it's not even something you can do that you really do consciously. You just hold on to the good times. It's just me shedding light on something that is actually unhealthy, but it is a mm-hmm. stage of it. Mm-hmm. So that's like a tactic you can take while you're doing the limited reality situation when you're you're dealing with that because you're not obviously in the, the present. You're in the past, it sounds like, a little bit. Yeah, you're um, going through the past. You're focusing mm-hmm. on the what if of the future. You know, you're preventing yourself from seeing the truth of the present moment. Got it. Okay. Number two is cherry picking the good. And that's obviously thinking of all the happy times, right? Yep. And, you know, you got to realize that anything found in abundance does not need to be cherry picked, right? So um, Mm -hmm. you're really just holding on to these good little moments. And as I said, you know, the worst relationships have the best moments, but that's all that they really are. Um, They're little crumbs. They're not the whole cookie. And you take all the crumbs and you mash them together and think you have a cookie, but you really don't. And the moments seem so great, not because they really are, but because you are focusing more on the high of satiation than the shame of starvation. You know, if I put you out in the middle of the desert and didn't feed you, um, and then after six days, I gave you a piece of moldy bread, it would quite literally bring you back to life you would think that that was the best thing in the whole world. And you wouldn't believe me when I said it was a piece of disgusting moldy bread because it made you feel so good. So you're focusing more on the high that the satiation gave you than the shame of having to address how starving you must have been for a piece of moldy bread to satiate you. Understood. That makes perfect sense. It's a good analogy too. So for someone who's in that phase, would you have any advice for them? Like how do you sort of get through that? Well, I mean, there's nothing, there's no like five-step process or anything that I have to get through it. I think admitting and realizing, okay, this is the stage I'm at. That's the best thing because knowing that one of my favorite quotes, nothing is personal, permanent, or perfect. This is not permanent. Mm -hmm. This will pass. The pain is here to pass, not to stay. But okay, this is where I am. This is what I'm doing. You know, I I believe I've never been to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I believe one of the first things they do is stand up, introduce themselves and say, I'm an alcoholic because there is a lot of uh, freedom, a lot of peace, a lot of empowerment and a lot of power in Mm -hmm. self-reflection and self-awareness and saying, this is what I know I am. This is where I, you know, where I am. Um, I actually have been to a meeting. (laughs) 
you have. But it means a laugh. It's not really funny. I, well, I'm in, I mean, I mentioned this to you before we started recording. I'm a psychology student at Pepperdine, and one of my courses is a group therapy, and we had to attend a like an in imper- like a in person. Uh, yeah, like a group therapy session. And I did one. It's interesting. That is what they do. And it, it, you're 100% on point. That is exactly what transpired. And they were feeling like empowered by just being there for one another and their unity, um, all having that same unfortunate bond, but it made them who they are today. We're all who we are from our imperfections, obviously. Sometimes they're even more beautiful than our perfections. But that's a show for another day. But that's really, that's good advice. It's just acknowledging, I guess, what you're doing, right? Just being aware of it. Just being aware of it, it, you know, I mean, it's one thing to be ignorant and do something. It's another thing to know what you're doing and know the cost of you executing that behavior or those thought patterns and continuing to do it. I mean, it's a whole different experience than just not knowing and flying by the seat of your pants. Got it. Okay. Number three um, is to show them what they're missing while healing, I guess, while the person's healing. And this is something I feel like everyone, myself included, has been guilty of in one, you know, one time or another. Um, but let's go through what that looks like. Can you explain um, a little bit about what you mean by that? And, yeah. um, and yeah, how to, I guess, try to at least acknowledge what you're doing so that you don't do it. I mean, just as, go uh, on frequently. Instagram on your feed. You'll see example after example of it. You know, most people are trying to portray an image that negates how they feel deep down, um, you know, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, um, I'm guilty of it. Uh, definitely a lot of people, a lot of people do this, but after a breakup, that's when you're the most susceptible to posting things, um, or trying to look like you're happy and having fun. Right. Even if you're not. Yeah. And that's just a stage of going through, a painful breakup. It can happen. Not everyone is going to hit every stage and it's definitely not progressive or linear. Um, but that is something that I've experienced a lot of people do, including myself. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, okay. And then rationalizing friendship, I guess, what is that when you're trying to turn um, an ex into a friend? That can happen sometimes. Yeah. Where you think, okay, you know, we can be friends. Well, you know, if they were a shitty partner, they're not going to just be an amazing friend in the name of you guys breaking up and friendship. You know, yeah. if someone's proven to be like, if someone in business screws me over, why would I be their friend? You know, why would I think, well, gee, they're going to be a great friend, even though they just completely screwed me over in business. I would That's never true. That. So why? Because their character is still the same, exactly. whether they're a romantic partner or they're just a platonic friend, right? Exactly. I just, I cannot stomach the disloyalty. How about, aside from the fact that maybe that toxic person is just like a bad person, perhaps um, for you, right? Um, but perhaps also, is it is it feasible that maybe, you know, you're kind of like, I don't know, like kind of kidding yourself and tricking your mind to think that you could be their friend and the, and then you want to keep them in your life. But the reality is you really still have those romantic feelings and you just can't disconnect. Yeah. And then you go into like friends with benefits territory, which is terrible, you know, because yeah. it's not a good place to be. You, you end up feeling used. No, because you're never going to be able to move on yeah. and they're basically using you at that point. So, yeah. 
Um, so no friendship, no friendship. Okay, moving on. All right, number five, checking up, stalking and obsessing. So what, why, why is this so bad? I mean, this obviously sounds like a no brainer, but let's talk a little bit about why people do that. Well, people do it because they can, you know, we live in a time where it's easier than ever to check up on an ex and it makes the breaking up process infinitely harder. Um, I, you know, I always tell people if you can't stop, unless you're breaking the law, you know what I mean? And like doing some crazy stuff. Um, oh God! And yeah. showing up at their house and you know all kinds of. But if you can't stop with the social media stalking and stuff like that, it's okay. Don't stop. You know this is why most restrictive diets fail because they make you feel as though you're depriving yourself of something, and then you reduce yourself to come some sort of like psychological infancy, and you're giving yourself a gold star every day when really you're just setting yourself up to gorge because you mm-hmm. feel as though you're depriving. So I say. If you can't stop social media stalking, don't. Just keep doing it. However, my only request is, because ultimately you will burn out. Like, for instance, uh, one of my favorite dishes in the world is pasta and pizza. I promise you, if you gave me pasta and pizza every day for every meal, I would eventually get sick of it. It would not be my favorite meal. Right. So, you know, I don't have a problem with people every hour, every day, whatever, looking at their ex, but look at it, look at this person through the filter of reality. Don't look at it through the filter of who they were in the beginning, because people don't change. They slowly show you who they are. Yeah, that's so true. But I also feel like when I've done that in the past, it makes me sad. And so I am like, I don't want to feel sad. So why am I looking at them? You know, like I want to be happy and I want to move on with my life. I think it was so much easier before social media to break up with someone because it's like, you either they're either going to call you and then you'll reconnect that way or you'll run into them randomly somewhere and they'll see them but you wouldn't be able to like I don't know like get all this information on like a platform you know um in fact I've always had a, a rule with friends that are still somewhat connected to exes I'm like unless I ask about the person, please don't tell me what they're doing. Like, I do not want to know, like, it's better for me not to, it makes me, it may, I think it can handle it, but I really can't handle it. So it's better just not to know. So yeah, I just agreeing with you. Yeah. But you think I, it's okay. I guess like in like moderation, if you really can't just go cold turkey, like I'm swift dusting, I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, everyone's got different limits. Everyone's got different, you know, situations. I, I think that that's amazing. I, I completely agree with you. And, um, you know, I, I don't want anyone to feel badly for what they're doing. Um, and especially if they don't feel like they have control over it, I'd rather yeah. them just understand, okay, this is a part of getting over the process. you know, it's yeah. part of the process. So yeah. yeah, that's something that I've encountered people do, definitely myself included. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess like the take home for me is just for people listening, don't feel bad if you're doing it. For you know, sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it doesn't make you a weak person because you're checking to see what your ex is doing. Just do it with a grain of salt because you know, they might be posting the same nonsense you might be posting. 100%. I mean, social media is like, so not reality. So it is what it is with that, you know, we, other than seeing their image and having, you know, seeing their a most recent photo or something like that. 
Um, which leads us to our next one, falling off your white horse, which is like the checking off and the triggers and emotional triggers, I guess is what I was sort of alluding to um, unknowingly um, with this this one in that regard. Um, but basically like making promises to yourself and then keeping them and trying to maintain that purpose, right? Of emotional intelligence. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I my mom introduced this concept to me. She came up with, and I, I ran with it. But you know, your white horse is is non reactivity. Non reactivity is emotional intelligence. It's not letting your emotions dictate your actions. It's understanding that you may not have control over those emotions, but you have complete and utter control over how you choose to react or respond to those emotions that you're feeling. And inevitably, when we go through a breakup, we fall off of that horse. You know, we react instead of respond. We, um, you know, we, we lose our dignity at one point or another. We say things we wish we didn't. We behave in ways we didn't. We wish we didn't. So that's just recognizing that stage. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, just forgive yourself if you do it and use the shame that you feel to keep yourself on that white horse and remain in a place of non-reactivity. Okay, great advice. Um, then there's closure, which in a healthy relationship would, I guess, be the last stage, right? But in a toxic relationship, it's impossible to have the true closure that you need with the other person. Is that right? Um, no, I mean, with toxic people, like if you're desperate for closure from someone, their actions 100% of the time are the closure that you need because they're probably deplorable and hurtful and respectful. And, you know, closure is um, you can't acknowledge how terrible someone has been to you and then think that they are the only ones of giving you closure um, and that they're even capable of that. It's like saying, I know how incapable you are in a romantic relationship with me, but after breaking up with me, I think you can rise to the occasion of self-awareness and give me all the closure that I need in the name of me needing it. That doesn't even make sense. You know, if someone has proven to not have uh, emo- emotional intelligence or self-awareness, they're not going to just have it because you need closure and you're no longer in a relationship yeah. with them. Right. I think that's what I was alluding to, that they're not going to be able to give you the affirmations and, and like kind words and, you know, um, having that intelligent conversation with emotions and, and feelings involved. I guess um, my I, I was kind of alluding to the fact that your behavior, their behavior rather, is really going to be your closure. Is that right? Yes. Yes. That. Yes. I mm-hmm. apologize. I think I misunderstood. Oh, no, it's fine. Yeah. I it, just wanted to clarify. That's no definitely, no definitely it, you know, and closure is a meal that's best self-made and self-served. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely key. But like if you were in a healthy relationship with someone and it just wasn't a fit, it's very highly likely, at least in my, my experiences and other relationships, I've gone to coffee and like we've talked or, you know, maybe like a month or two goes by and we, 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 you know, reconvene and we talk and then we may not be like friends that we talk all the time. But I have exes on, I think they're almost not, I'm not friends with every ex, but I'm pretty, except maybe one or two, I'm very good friends with my exes to a certain extent, like very good friends in the sense that I could call them and meet up with them. It would be perfectly fine. And like, they care about me and I care about them and like, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, anyway, but that's not, that's not reality with a toxic person, unfortunately, because they have their own, I guess, um, their own agenda. Um, all right, let's talk about self-sabotage. Uh, I was, 
uh, interested to hear what you have to say about what this this stage is all about. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we get to a place where we we sabotage ourselves, we cut ourselves at our own Achilles in the name of progression. And um, people do this in every facet of life. And it's because execution is scary. It's because looking in the mirror is scary. And it's because we're already so hurt, we subconsciously and consciously engage in patterns that affirm our feelings of worthlessness and legitimize those feelings. So we're going out there kind of like in the hopes of sort of like getting, you know, back on the, I'd hate to say horse, but just like back out there, right. And going on a date. But the, the reality is um, unbeknownst to the person, they're maybe seeking people to date that are very comparable to the toxic person they just ended the relationship with. I mean, that that's a I mean? great example. Um, you oh, know, right. there's, there's a lot of things we do to sabotage ourselves, whether it's, um, you know, posting stuff on social media or it's reacting to something we should have responded to, you know, reactivity is rooted in, uh, emotional being emotionally impulsive. It's, it's rooted in insecurity and fear being responsive. A response is rooted in action. You don't need words, but when you sabotage yourself during the breakup, I mean, you're basically doing anything that you can in the name of quote unquote, trying to move on, but really it, ultimately creates more pain for you. And it affirms all of these false, negative and limiting belief systems. Okay. Um, and then disgust where your emotional gag reflex is kicked in with both your ex and their toxicity, along with your own toxicity. And you're now able to own and identify. Can you explain that? Yeah, out of all the emotions that we feel as human beings, disgust is my favorite emotion, even more so than love. Not because I'm a nasty person. I'm a very loving and empathetic person. But disgust interests me the most because it is what I call a light switch emotion. Once you are disgusted, there's no going back. And human beings are scared shitless of disgust because they know the power of it. You know, I've been in the labor and delivery room for many friends, family members. I just had a baby myself a few days ago. Um, yeah. And I, I've never had one person, nor have I felt the need to, you know, say, Hey guys, you know, can you just make sure that my husband, my partner is just right front and center not that there's anything disgusting about giving birth. It's one of the most beautiful things. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who want their partners right in front. That's fine. But this is just an example for, you know, that I'm just pulling out right now. Um, mm -hmm. I, it's not that anything is disgusting. It's that human beings know the power of when you see something, you can't unsee it, you know, and yeah. um, you just, you cannot unsee it. And what I try to tell people is, you know, you have gotten right in front of your ex's proverbial birth canal and you can't unsee it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And I'm telling you, it's fucking disgusting. And you are hoping, you know, that a rose garden is going to grow. You know, you have mm. seen things you cannot unsee. And uh, this is very embarrassing to admit, but I've gone on dates with incredible men. And just because there is, you know food in the teeth or bad breath or a weird mole or something superficial that I don't like that disgusts me, I'm done. I won't go on another date. Oh, I'm exactly the you same know, way. However, I, yeah. if, 
I go on someone that ticks all the superficial boxes, but substantial boxes, they don't tick any. Oh, I'm ready to go on a fifth, sixth, seventh date. You know, so it's like, well, why don't I have an emotional gag reflex? And if I do, why doesn't it kick in? Because we do everything we can to disable it. And you yeah. know, you've already been on the receiving end of a litany of deplorable behavior. You just need to remember it. Stop trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube and get disgusted because disgust will kick in. And once it kicks in, it's just like, I can't go back. You know, it's I can't, so true. I can't That's back. such a good analogy, Natasha, because it's true. Once you see someone for who they are, it may take a while for that to, to come about. Like you may be in blinders and rose colored glasses or whatever you want to call it for a long time. But once those glasses are, are taken down and you, you see them, like it's true. You'd be like, you know, oh, I'm done. You know, yeah. and maybe nothing, quote unquote, disgusting happened. You know, just like I said, giving birth is a beautiful thing, but not everyone wants their partner right front and center seeing what's going on because it's that's a lot going on, you know? And yeah. um, you just have to remind myself yourself, I can't unsee what I've seen. I need to stop trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good one. I like that. And that's your closure there. You know what you've already been exposed to. Okay. And then last but not least is the forgiveness stage. So let's talk a little bit about that and forgiving your, forgiving the other person, right. For, so you can move on and have like, it's, you know, it's empowering yourself by giving the forgiveness. Is that right? Yeah. I've always had a real problem with forgiveness. You know, it always made me feel as though I was condoning the behavior or I was putting whitewash or bleach and, you know, resetting the relationship. Absolutely not. You know, and then I heard Oprah, there was a, some guest on her pot or on her show years ago Mm -hmm. said forgiveness is letting go of the hope that the past could have been any different. That's a very beautiful definition. I kind of adhered to that for a while, but it didn't really stick. Um, For me, forgiveness is adjusted boundaries. For me, forgiveness is acceptance. So, you know, if you hurt me, I'm going to accept who you have proven that, or what you have proven you are capable of, who you have unfolded to be. And I'm going to adjust mm-hmm. my boundaries accordingly. That is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel too. I agree with you 150%. Same with myself. Yeah. You know, if I'm doing shitty things to myself and I'm subscribing to the negative beliefs of the critical audience in my head, I'm going to accept that this is the reality I'm at and I'm going to adjust my boundaries with those insecurities and that critical audience. That is forgiveness to me. And I believe, you know, there's many people I coach that are uh, very spiritual, um, all different religions I coach people from. And acceptance is biblical. Acceptance is the basis of spirituality. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not going to deviate from anything that has been for centuries ingrained into the human psyche that part of humanity is acceptance. So it makes forgiveness a lot easier and more accessible. So the the moral of all of this is basically once you go through all these phases is to sort of like forgive yourself, love yourself, and then you're going to win because who cares what they think at that point? And they probably are going to then be like dying because they're going to see that you don't care about them anymore and you truly won't be caring about them. It won't be just that fictitious Instagram post that making like your life is, you know, a bowl of cherries. It may not be every day. And some cherries definitely have, well, all of them technically have pits, but like you'll be in a much healthier place, right? If you get through all of this and at the end of the day, you can just sort of like wish 
like you say, like, you know, like legitimately wish them well in a sense, and then just focus on yourself. And if they do re-enter your life in some shape, then just have boundaries in place so that you protect yourself and you don't go back under the, the water of hell. <laughs> 100%, you know, 100%. And I don't, I really don't have an ex, whether it be an ex-friend, an ex-lover, anything like that. I don't have an ex in my life that I wish well. I really don't. I, I wish that I could be on that level that a lot of my colleagues are where they can do that and let them kind of go and, and wish them well. I don't wish any of them well. Uh, I don't hmm. wish them bad or good. I just don't feel anything when I think about them. And that's the beauty of indifference. Hmm. And, you know, I, I don't, it's very hard for me to wish someone well who disrespected me, but it's also very hard for me to, um, you know, it's hard to go on both ends of the spectrum. I don't wish them well. And it's very hard for me to wish bad things upon them. Now, listen, I'm a human being and it feels good when shitty things happen to shitty people, of course, but you know, I don't actively wish ill or well on anyone i i don't that has hurt me in the past come on natasha i know you have a voodoo doll in your business. <laughs> <laughs> no no i, I really don't I'm kidding i'm joking i'm joking yeah you know, I know. I, i've experienced the cost um just i know i totally understand what you're saying yeah you're the just cost sort of, of like whatever on neutral people. it's, it's I, and you know what i have to say my like wish well i'm probably in the same boat as you I think I just didn't have like a word to put like, uh, you know, name it like with an official word, but yeah, no negativity, like no, no real positivity, wish, I mean, but take... no negativity. It's like, whatever, go on with your life. Like yeah. sayonara city. It takes it's effort like... for me to wish ill or well on someone. You know, I, I, yeah. I don't, yeah. I, if someone's hurt me, I just, I don't really feel anything. Once I've reached indifference, it's like, okay, you know, it is what okay, it is. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. All right. Well, we are wishing all of the Race for the Ringers well in their endeavor to win their breakup um, and love themselves the most because that is ultimately what the ring is um, in this show. And you had a really, really good uh, source of information to share with us today. So I appreciate it, especially that you just had a baby. Congratulations again Thank on you. that. I We chatted a little bit about that before we started recording too. It's awesome. And um, it's a whole new love like level you're going to now experience. I'm sure you do already. It's every day gets even deeper and deeper and deeper. It's amazing being a mom. So Definitely. one mama, two of the other. <laughs> I, <laughs> um, so tell everybody listening where uh, we can find you and um, where your book is available too, please. Yeah, sure. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at, at Natasha Adamo. You can find me on my website at natashadamo.com. Book is available at all major retailers, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Kobo, Kobo, um, you name it. I mean, it's, it's, it's out there. So it's coming out okay. March 22nd. I look forward to uh, it getting in the hands of as many people around the world who need it. Awesome. Win your breakup, everybody. Um, all right. Thank you, Natasha. Go back to the baby. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for doing what you do. Truly, uh, Mindy, you are, you cannot help people on the level that you do and not no pain and um, survivorship very, very intimately. And it's unbelievable what you do. And 
I have so much respect for you. You're going to one of my favorite schools, uh, in oh, one of my favorite yay. areas. And uh, it's a real honor because, you know, people like you uh, have every right to just scoff at what I do because I'm not I'm not credentialed, you know, I'm not educated in the oh, way that you are. And not I, yet. I mean, but, <laughs> no, but you have a lot of other information, obviously, and experiences and different points of view to share. So it's awesome. We all have something to bring to the table in a different way, right? If it was the same meal, like you said before, at the pasta and the pizza, we'd all be bored. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, all right. Well, thank you. Go back to the baby. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Race for the Ring. If you liked today's episode, please write us a review. They can make or break a good podcast, just like a dull dude can be the kiss of death to a date. I'll catch you next week. And in the meantime, be sure to say hi and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. My handles and contacts are in the show notes. It's been my pleasure to have you along for today's dating debate. Bye-bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.